0: welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn de and this is The Great War from Munster and Ulster, Part 2. In this episode we are returning to our journey through Irish history in a sequel to Part 1 of this series released last February. We will pick up the story in 1101 in a war-torn Ireland where a bitter struggle between Mwakithuk O'Brien, the great-grandson of Brian Boru, and Donal MacLachlan, the O'Neill King in Ulster, had been underway for well over a decade. Part 1 ended with Mwarkatuk having inflicted a crushing defeat on his great foe, and it is here we pick up the story in Ulster, in late 1101. If all this is a little puzzling, you might want to take a listen to Part one first, first, which is called 1090-1101, to 1101, The Great War of Munster and Ulster, Part 1. If you haven't heard it, but still want to enter the fray in the middle of a war, there is some overlap, so hopefully it shouldn't be too confusing. With that said, brace yourselves, we are about to begin. In late 1101, Donald MacLachlan, once one of the most powerful figures of his day, must have felt that medieval Ireland was no country for old men. Not least after they had been pummeled in battle anyway. At 53, a good age by any reckoning for his time, his authority and power had fallen further than he could ever have imagined. He had once been the High King of Ireland, but in 1101 his great nemesis, Mwarkatuk O'Brien, the King of Munster, had invaded his territory and launched what had been an earth-shattering attack. While Donal himself had avoided having to submit to his rival and he could hope to fight another day, Mwarkatach had rubbed salt into his wounded pride by raising the great O'Neill fortress of Greenon and Eilach to the ground. This was retribution for a similar act Dónal had committed when he had invaded Munster in 1088. Despite this humiliation, Dónal was not finished yet. He had avoided submitting to Mwarkatach and, unquestionably, he was capable of mounting resistance given the right circumstances He had plenty of experience. As a younger man, he had seen his family emerge through difficult times. His father, Ardgar, had fought a ferocious civil war within the O'Neill family, during which Donal had emerged as a distinguished fighter, before becoming a successful king in his own right in the 1080s. However, if he was to survive the coming years, when Mwakothuk would surely return to try and finish him off, he would need to draw on all his experiences and the few allies he still had. Perhaps his greatest friend in this situation was not any great warrior, but a cleric, the abbot of Armagh had before staved off invasions of Ulster by enforcing a peace treaty using his ecclesiastical prestige and power, and indeed within a few short months Donal had to call on the abbot again when Whackathuck arrived in Ulster in 1102. No doubt Donal was no way able to fight him, but before any sword could draw blood, he had gotten the abbot to intercede, forcing a peace treaty for a year. Even in spite of this treaty, however, the future was still dark for Donal, and if anything, it was getting darker still. If I was a betting man in medieval Ireland, all my money would have been on Whackathuck O'Brien. One way or another, he seemed destined to finish Dónal off. Despite all Dónal's experience, it was Morkatoch who was the informed fighter, so to speak. It had been many years since anyone had really bested him on the battlefield. There was only one exception to this, and this man really was an exception. Magnus Sparelegs, the King of Norway. Magnus had come into conflict with Morkatoch O'Brien, when the King of Munster had expanded his power in the 1090s and taken control of the islands across the Irish Sea and off the west coast of Scotland, a region known as the Kingdom of the Isles. The two had come into conflict in 1098 and Magnus had emerged victorious, pushing Mwarkatuk from the region. Then Magnus had returned to Norway and Mwarkatuk had been able to return to his winning ways. With Mwarkatuk having only suffered one defeat, the hopes of Donal overcoming him was slim. If he had any chance, he needed to use the time granted to him by the peace treaty to rebuild. However, in eleven oh two the situation transformed in a way that offered Donal a glimmer of hope, when that one man who had beaten Morketok O'Brien stepped back into the ring. Magnus Bearlegs was back in the Irish Sea, hoping for round two against Morketuk. Having ruled Norway since ten ninety three, Magnus Barelegs was an aggressive and expansionist king. He reputedly lived by the statement that kings were made for honour and not for long life. He claimed right over the Kingdom of the Isles and indeed Dublin crucially by virtue of the fact that his forefathers had ruled these settlements. In his campaign in 1098 he had driven Whackatuck from all the islands in the Irish Sea but this had merely whet his appetite and he was back in 1102. To finish the job by taking Dublin. Momentarily, at least, the struggle between Worcetuch and Donal was put on hold. All bets were surely now off. While the outcome was impossible to predict, contemporaries of the day were clear about what Magnus's intentions were when they stated ominously Magnus came to invade Ireland. While a Norwegian invasion of Ireland might seem fanciful to us today, in the 12th century, it was a very different story. Indeed, over the previous decades, Magnus and his relations had been attempting to carve out territory in Britain and Ireland. As recently as 1058, Magnus' uncle had been active in the Irish Sea region, while in 1066 his grandfather, Harald Hardradra, had been killed trying to invade England. The fleet which arrived in the Irish Sea was now like a storm cloud gathering over Ireland. There was one man, however, who was not all doom and gloom about Magnus' return. This was obviously Donal MacLachlan. He surely could see that this very dark cloud, with the potential to spill a lot of blood, had a silver lining. It was his great rival in who controlled Dublin, where Magnus would strike. Surely conflict between the two of them would give Donal breathing space and time to rebuild his armies. However... If Magnus Barelegs was anything in this situation, he was unpredictable. And when eventually he came ashore in Ireland, he did not let anyone down. (music) On arriving in the Irish Sea, Magnus based himself on the Isle of Man, a small island situated between Ireland and northern England. Details of his next activities are sadly lacking, but it seems highly likely that he may have taken Dublin in 1102. For Mwarkathach, who controlled this settlement, the loss of Dublin was a major blow. Worse still, it could easily prove to be a launching pad for further conquest in Ireland by Magnus. Then, just when it seemed that war between Magnus and Mwarkathach was inevitable, particularly given Magnus' slogan that kings were made for honour and not for long life, the most surprising of outcomes occurred. The two kings avoided conflict and made a mutually beneficial treaty. Now, to some degree, I think this was predictable, certainly with hindsight anyway. Mwakithoch knew Magnus could not, and no doubt did not want to stay in Ireland forever. He needed to return to Norway. If he stayed away too long, he would eventually face revolt at home. Likewise, Magnus, for his part, must have known that Mwarkatuk had to constantly keep one eye on Ulster and Donald MacLachlan. So logically, where neither wanted conflict, negotiations began. A deal was hammered out where they carved up the Irish Sea region. To cement their alliance, Mwarkatuk's daughter Blahmin was to marry Magnus' son Sigurd. In what is very disturbing by modern standards, according to a contemporary Norse source, Sigurd was then nine winters old and the maid five winters. Now the actual ceremony wouldn't have taken place in 1102. The medieval church did ban the marriage of infants. However, once Blahemin reached the age of 12, she would have had to marry the Norwegian. While for us this is horrifying, at the time I'm not so sure it would have been nearly as shocking. This was, after all, a world where individuality was totally subservient to the wider collective demands of one's family while women from the elite married at a very young age. So it's easy to see how such events wouldn't have really raised that many eyebrows. Along with the marriage, the two kings agreed that Sigurd would rule the isles, while Magnus himself would return to Norway. According to Norse sources, Mworkatuck also seems to have agreed that the Norwegians could control Dublin and the surrounding territory. Now, While this might seem like a defeat from Mworkatuck, it's not necessarily the climb down it initially seemed. As the historian Sean Duffy has pointed out once Magnus departed for Norway leaving the nine-year-old Sigurd in charge the power behind the throne would obviously be the boy king's father-in-law Morkathach. While many no doubt were delighted that war had been postponed far in the north in Ulster Donald MacLachlan must have recoiled in horror when he heard the news. Magnus's arrival had seemed to offer him a chance, at the very least, to rebuild. But now he ended up in a far worse position. Mworktuk was stronger than ever, as Magnus decided that he would remain in Ireland until the following year to join in an attack on Ulster. In late 1102, Donal's life expectancy was shortening by the week. Before we continue, I'd like to take another quick break. I'd like to take this chance to thank you all for your feedback over the last few months. Hearing what you think helps me greatly when I'm trying to make podcasts. For example, I originally planned to skip this episode and move straight to the Norman invasion. But a few emails, particularly those from Gavin Murphy and Jason Nolan, encouraged me to finish this story, which I think makes most sense. So thanks to Gavin and Jason for those. If you have any thoughts on what would make the show better, what aspects you like, what aspects you don't like, mail me at historyatirishhistorypodcast.ie. Sometimes it can take me a while to reply, but generally I'll get there in the end. I would also like to thank everyone who has made contributions towards producing these shows. As we nudge closer to a new era in the podcast, Norman Ireland, which begins in the late 1160s, there are many texts I need to buy in order to prepare these shows. So if you want to help out, you can contribute online at irishhistorypodcast.ie and click Donate. That's irishhistorypodcast.ie. Thanks very much. Although facing dire odds in 1103, Donald MacLachlan could not be written off completely. No doubt even Workerthock himself knew this. He was a formidable foe. As I've mentioned earlier, he had cut his teeth amid a brutal and bloody civil war within the O'Neill family, so he was well used to the stresses and dangers of wars that could easily result in his own death. The exact events of that crucial year of 1103, when the two kings went to war, is difficult to pin down exactly, but it seems to me that Donal adopted a strategy whereby he saw the best form of defence being offence. So he went on the attack early that year. Instead of waiting for Mwarchatuch and Magnus to arrive on his doorstep, he began to consolidate his position in Ulster by attacking the surrounding kingdoms. Now he can only have known that any attempt to reassert his authority would result in an attack by Mwarchatuch. But you can see why he would make such a move. War was coming one way or another. He had to go for broke. To his west, in the hills of modern Donegal, lay the troublesome kingdom of the Caneal Conall, long rivals to the O'Neills. Donal began by deposing their king and subduing the people, no doubt hoping he would eliminate any trouble in his rear when he had to come to facing down the armies of Magnus and Mwachtach. It's not clear who started the next event, but shortly afterwards war broke out in eastern Ulster in Ullid after it seems that Donal may have invaded these territories traditionally had been subservient to the O'Neills but in 1101 Mwakathach had cleaved it from their control. Any conflict here without question would draw in Mwakathach but Donal, regardless, pushed on. Predictably, Mwakathach marched north with a large army including, as we shall see, Magnus Bearlegs and his troops. Donal, though, seems to have been very well prepared Because when the two armies met near Armagh that summer, no battle was joined. Instead, they faced each other down for a week. Now in this situation, Mwarkatuch was the loser. The onus was on him to defeat Donal, not really vice versa. All Donal needed to do was hold his ground. After a week, Mwarkatuch withdrew as his army was tiring, according to the Annals of Ulster. The campaign, however, was by no means over. Morktuk could not leave the north without some military engagement or an agreement. So instead he withdrew to Magcoba, several miles from Armagh in County Down. Here, feeling secure, or perhaps overconfident, he split his forces, leaving troops from Leinster, Dublin, Munster and some of Magnus's army behind him while he raided neighbouring territories. Now when Donal learned of this, he knew this was his moment. It was really a now or never situation. Defeating Warktok would not come easier. So on August the 5th 1103 he risked conflict and his forces rained down on Worketuk's army encamped at Magkoba. With the advantage of surprise on his side he scored a great victory described in the Annals of Ulster as a slaughter. At the day's end the battlefield was littered with warriors' bodies while Donald's armies carried away the battle standards and even Mworkatuck's royal tent. In the aftermath of this catastrophe, Mworkatuck had little option but to withdraw. And, as they often do in such situations, things now went from bad to worse. Later that August, Magnus Barelegs, the King of Norway, raided territory in eastern Ulster. Why he was doing this is far from certain, given that he and Mworkatuck had come north Supposedly to defend the region Either which way He was ambushed and in what was a minor Peripheral skirmish in the context of Wider events that year The King of Norway was killed On the 23rd of August 1103 Becoming the first And I think only foreign monarch To die and be buried in Ireland In 1103 Magnus was buried very close to where he fell And indeed it's Highly likely that he still lies there today The archaeologist Finbar McCormack has convincingly made a case that he is buried beneath a mound at a place called Horse Island over a kilometre south of Downpatrick. Now the fallout from Magnus's death as you can imagine was immense as the treaty he had forged with Mwarkathoch the previous year collapsed. Sigurd on hearing of his father's death had little interest in Ireland now that the crown of Norway was a begging. He or rather his advisers, given he was only nine put him on board ship and abandoned his child bride Blachmine. although I suspect she was hardly that distraught given she and Sigurd didn't even share a common language As Sigurd set sail this firmly and finally drew a chapter of Irish history to a close He, or rather his father anyway was the last Scandinavian to directly intervene in Ireland The events of 1103 were equally momentous for Donald MacLachlan He had achieved what had seemed impossible only a year previously. Not only had he defeated Mworkatuck but by chance Magnus had been killed as well. Donal had been fighting for his life but he had survived. For Mworkatuck it was a setback. The odds of him forcing MacLachlan into submission had diminished. This was in terms of O'Brien family history a failure. He was after all the grandson of Brian Boru, who had succeeded in controlling Ulster a century earlier. Markstuck's defeat ensured that the struggle between Munster and Ulster would continue but the ferocity would never reach these proportions again This may well have been in part that the two men were ageing both were now in their fifties While to many in the 12th century it must have seemed that this war between the O'Neill kings in Ulster and the kings in Munster might continue forever as they had been at war longer than anyone alive could have remembered but change was coming as we will see in part three, this war would come to a rather abrupt end with the arrival of a young king on the scene. This was Thorlock O'Connor, the King of Connacht. So until next time, Sloan.